Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Baird along with Stephen Means from Cleveland.com. We are coming off of our only bye week, off week, idle week, whatever you want to call it, media availability. We talked to Ryan Day today at the Woody. We talked to Kerry Combs at the Woody. And we talked to Chris Olave today at the Woody. And one of those three was really, really, really interesting. And the other two were kind of fine. Um, we got some important <laughs> things from Ryan Day too. But obviously, Kerry Combs, uh, when he came walking into the media room today, was a bit of a revelation. We have not talked to Kerry Combs since the Oregon game when he had play call duties taken away from him and given to Matt Barnes. And the tenor of that conversation after the Oregon game was very much, what are you going to do about this problem or what can be done about this problem or how much of this problem is your fault? And I thought the tenor of today's conversation was about his response about there were a lot of questions today. People were very interested in what did this mean for Kerry Combs? And we obviously talked a little bit about what it meant for the team and how the team has gotten better on defense over the last month. We talked about that with Ryan Day as well. But, Stephen, I mean, you asked the first question. I think it was the obvious first question that anybody was going to ask. That's not a, that's not a, a dig against you, but that, that was the question I had no, to be asked. Yeah. It was like, how, how are you handling this? And I, I, it, we got some insight into everything that has been going on behind the scenes and the things that Ryan Day has been alluded to, at least in what they're saying publicly about it, they seem to be on the same page. That Kerry Combs is not happy. Kerry Combs did not enjoy being uh, publicly removed of his play calling duties. But Kerry Combs being who he is, both in terms of personality and being a, a longstanding professional in this industry, in this business, in this sport, has handled it with some class. I guess just what was your – did you – was that exactly what you would have expected Kerry Combs to say in this situation? I thought he was more honest than – he was more honest than I thought he would be about it because, yeah, you're right. The most obvious thing you're going to ask first is just kind of – it was kind of a softball question, but you knew it was going to go somewhere. How are you handling this? And I thought it would lead one answer, and then somebody later on, or maybe myself, would have to follow up with – were you happy about it? You know, getting into the, you know, as Doug likes to call the feelings part of the, what happens in a lot of these press conferences. I didn't think he would answer basically 12 questions with one answer. Um, so I was a little shocked that he was that open with it from the get-go that whether he was happy with the demotion or not, I think it's pretty obvious that no one would be happy to be demoted in any part of life, but not everybody would admit publicly that situation, especially when you're still in the middle of it. I thought that at best we would maybe get, you know, um, this is a collaborative effort and you know, we just felt like we needed to change some things. And that's what it, I, we got a much more detailed answer than I thought we'd get for question one. Well, on the softball question um, scale that might get asked at, at the, the average Ohio state football press conference, that doesn't even register. <laughs> Fair. That wasn't really a Fair. softball question. It was just a direct question and a chance yeah. for him. It was a chance for him to vent, you know, obviously after the Oregon game, he came into the post-game press conference, and that was, I thought, a stand-up move. But that was the last opportunity we'd had to talk to him. Mm -hmm. We talked to Matt Barnes since then. We've talked to Larry Johnson since then. We have not talked to Al Washington at all this season. I've requested him multiple times, and he has not been yet made available uh, in, in the coaching 
availabilities that we have on Tuesday afternoons. So I don't know when we'll talk to Al Washington next, but I thought it was interesting that he got a question late in this press conference, the very last question he got, I think. And I thought it was a great question. And the reason, and, and so did Kerry Combs, because he said, I don't, I wish you hadn't asked that question, um, yeah. uh, which is an acknowledgement of how good of a question it was. And it was, you've been a head coach before. Is there some part of you, as much as you uh, don't like what happened, that respects what Ryan Day did in this situation? And that was, you know, Kerry Combs hardly ever is at a loss for words, but I don't think he really had a great answer for that question as much as he's been stand up about this whole thing. And do you think, feel like the way he answered that question, do you feel like Kerry Combs thinks that this was the best thing for the team? Is um, Ohio State, does he, I don't think he believes Ohio State football will play better football this year because he had play call duties taken away from him. But I feel like he is willing to go along with it. I think his response is the best thing for the team. I don't know that he feels like, the decision was demonstrably the best thing for the team. Yeah. And it's because he, his sample size is a road game against as when as a road game against Maryland, Oregon, who was a top 15 team. And then uh, Tulsa is Tulsa. But the point of the matter is his sample size is against much tougher opponents at a time in a schedule where they're still trying to figure out who their best players are. While Matt Barnes's sample size is against, at best, equal level opponents, but you also know who your best guys are. So there might just be a part of him that feels like he didn't get a fair shake at this completely. But the to, the combat the way you combat that is, dude, you had all last year, and the idea that La- Ryan Day kind of said it when we had that uncomfortable press conference of last year we couldn't stop anybody in the passing game. We got that fixed, and now all of a sudden we can't stop anybody in the run game. So yes, your sample size for this season it wasn't maybe you can say that's not fair, but you also had a whole previous season before that where that wasn't a good sample size either. So if he doesn't feel like this was the best t- thing for the team. That's he's he's allowed to think that that doesn't mean it's necessarily true. Yeah. The crux of it to me was him saying he believes in his abilities. I think he thinks he can be a good defensive coordinator, but Mm -hmm. he did also acknowledge that, you know, he's been in Ryan Day's position before in his long tenure as a high school head coach. And has been an assistant for a long time now at the college level has been assistant at the NFL level. And he knows that sometimes you have to do those things just to try to get something else going. And that I th- it was, it's everything you just said is th- completely factual. Ohio state's three, Ohio state's first two opponents are probably still the two best teams they've played. When you factor in that mm-hmm. the Minnesota game was on the road. And then obviously Oregon was the best team they've played so far. They were more unsettled from a defensive personnel standpoint in those two games than they are now. And I don't look at that as necessarily a poor assessment by the defensive coordinator. I feel like it was hard to tell yet who their best players were until they actually got into games and played snaps and proved who their best players were, which has happened. So those two things combined, I, it, it, but you're also right that it, it, it was things that have been a problem since last season and, and had to be corrected somehow. I tried to ask Ryan Day today, I asked him two questions. One was essentially, you know, there are other programs that have a run game 
pass uh, run game defensive coordinator, passing game defensive coordinator. Uh, I didn't throw in the caveat that sometimes that's BS and it's just for show and it's about what title you put on a guy to help him with his next job or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but there are some teams that structure it along those lines. Is that a, is it safe to say that's what Ohio State's doing? And he said, no, that's not really the structure that we have now explicitly. The other question I asked him, though, was if you had this same structure before and it was collaborative before, then what is it about Matt Barnes as a play caller or whatever, having him down on the field that is different or better or what is what has changed that? And he also kind of pushed that aside and just said that the whole thing is better. The whole structure is better. And it did seem that Kerry Combs was admitting to that to some extent because he said – and he says it was his idea to go up in the press box, which – you can split hairs on that to some extent, I suppose. I don't think, I think there was absolutely some change along those lines had to be made. And Ryan Day was already kind of publicly saying some change is going to be made. So if you go in and preemptively say it, you know, uh, fine. But he said it was his idea to go up in the press box and it has helped. It has, he is seeing the things down there. He is seeing things now that he wasn't seeing before. And it does make me wonder if there's a part of this that, even if you would just put him up there and left him have play calling duties still, that that was kind of what I, what I expected to happen. And maybe you would have yeah. seen some improvement from that. But I also think that just with his vast experience in football in general and in, in coaching secondary players more specifically, that by moving up there and frankly, maybe Ryan Day's willingness for them to play more split safety coverages on defense, that the combination of like all of these things, every little nugget of that, comes together and, and makes this defense better than it is right now. But the, he's probably is seeing things and can now relay information to Matt Barnes, who has a different perspective that he's now using to make the calls. That it isn't just as if not if, if you had kept everything the same and now it was just Matt Barnes making calls instead of Kerry Combs, maybe we wouldn't see the difference we're seeing now, I guess is my long winded point. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Benefit of the doubt was lost, so you kind of had to do something drastic as far as who was changing, the, changing who's calling the plays. And I think you couldn't I, – I guess the answer to what I said earlier is, well, why don't you just give Kerry Combs six games, right? Give him to this bye week and then kind of re, figure it out here. Come up for air then, as Ryan Day likes to say. Let's get through this part of the schedule and then we'll come up for air. I don't think they could wait that long. I think you had to – whatever you were going to do, you needed to do it after game three because – there was enough – Oregon gave you enough as a talented enough team to show you that if things don't get fixed and they don't get drastically fixed, this can go left very quickly, especially now as what we're seeing the Big Ten has turned itself into with, what, four or five teams in the top ten right now. I, I, I completely understand why they made such a drastic decision after game three because you had to start implementing it in those next three games where I don't think anybody thought they were going to lose, even if the score would, maybe would have been a little bit closer had you kept Kerry Combs as your, as your primary play caller. So some of that is – but also just benefit of the doubt. He, did, he lost any benefit of the doubt to the point that Ryan Day had to make a drastic decision like that. And I think the difference might just be – they might it might be collaborative – and the way they prepare for a game might be the exact same, but when it's time to make in-game adjustments, has Kerry Cones had he shown the ability to be willing to do that through what seven games last through his ten games as a primary play caller? Had he shown the ability to make adjustments? I'd say no. 
Matt Barnes in those three games showed the the willingness to make adjustments, whether it was, you know, settling in with the certain linebackers and having still Chambers clearly be the third guy or having games where Cam Martinez is just out there and he's playing 45 to 50 snaps. Or as we saw this past weekend where Marcus Williamson is getting all the snaps and all Cam Martinez plays at 17 or it's moving guys around to figure things out after you lose Josh Proctor. One guy has just shown the ability to make better in-game adjustments. And as you get into games that are more talent equated, that's going to matter a lot more. So one thing that was a big topic of conversation with our texters, 614-350-3315, I was sending out, you know, what, what Ryan Day and what Kerry Combs were saying, as I always do from these Tuesday press conferences. And he answered a question by phrasing it, um, he says, I'm, I'm still going to be here, was how he started the question, started the yeah. answer. But then later in the answer, he very specifically said, for the rest of this season, I'm going to keep mm-hmm. doing this and this and this. And, and, and all the things you, we expect of, of Kerry Combs as far as, you know, talking about busting his butt and, and being on the grind and, and giving his all to, to help the team win. But that obviously stuck out like a sore thumb when he very specifically said, for the rest of this season. That did seem to be not an announcement, but a certainly a a hint that this is probably coming to a a separation. Because again, I don't feel like he thinks. I think he feels like there's more for him in this sport than being the defensive backs coach, even at a power five superpower like Ohio State. I think he thinks of himself as someone who who has aspirations higher than that. So. It, it seems like, again, a separation is coming. But then I think it goes back to, again, how important it is that Kerry Combs is handling this in a way that I don't know that every coach would have handled this. There are definitely guys um, who could have withdrawn and guys who could have um, pushed, uh, pushed responsibility away and said, um, well, I'm, if, if that's what you think of me, I'm staying in my room and I'm only doing my, the one thing and then you guys can figure it out um, and put it in everything on other guys. It does not seem like that's what happened. It seems like he has bought into the, the – put his pride aside, bought into the collaboration. Mm-hmm. Seems like it. I mean, we're not in the room, but this is what they're telling us and what we're hearing just secondhand. And that, that could end up being an important thing for how successful this team ends up being this season because there are still enough questions on the field and issues that they're going to run into on the field when they start playing better teams that they can't really afford to have a headache on the staff also be lingering throughout the second the back stretch of this season. Yeah, I think he didn't want to – he said, I don't want to – that would make me a liar if I handled it any other way. He's handling it the way you would want a player to handle it if he saw his job being taken by somebody who was younger than him, which is what we've seen over the past couple of weeks. I mentioned Marcus Williamson earlier. Before that Maryland game, he hadn't played much. You know, Cameron Martinez and Lathan Ransom had basically taken his job. And then Lathan Ransom moved to free safety until Cameron Martinez gets the most of the drafts until last year. And so Marcus Williamson had to deal with that. If he sees his coach is throwing a temper tantrum and not handling that situation professionally, what do you think he's going to do as a 22-year-old kid if he sees a 50-year-old doing it? So, yeah, I think he's setting a good example for a team who still has everything in front of itself as far as what it wants to accomplish this year because we've seen the other way. We've seen you know, Alex Grinch not necessarily handle the fact that he wasn't the primary play caller in 2018, not handle it as well. And it, 
it's part of why the secondary wasn't good. It's not the entire reason, but it play, it's on the list of reasons for why 2018 secondary wasn't good. Well, it's also a reason why, why these guys are playing so well now. It's the young guys, you know, getting more reps and getting more ex- experience and getting more confident in what they're able to do, but also some of these older guys in these, you know, Lesser roles, even if they're lesser roles, are kind of being stars in those roles. So you get a guy like Marcus Williamson playing as well as he did last year. So that that's part one. It's he's setting the example for how you should handle things when they're not always going your way. The other part of this is just simply, uh, yeah, nothing he said on uh, said what today is Tuesday. Nothing he said in this Tuesday press conference made it seem like he's going to be back on this from from the remainder of the season comment to I feel like I can do this job here or anywhere else. It, it kind of, the rant kept going in a way that it seemed like he was kind of, you know, promoting himself a little bit for a job that might be out there, might not be out there after the season. But yeah, nothing he said made it seem like he's going to be back with his coaching staff next year. And what helps him the most this season, you know, as far as when you have a negative that's a public negative, if you can turn it into a public positive, that's a good thing. I'm not trying to be a cynic, mm. but if you have more people on the record saying, you know what, he took his lumps, but he came back the next week and he busted his butt and he made this defense better. And here are things that we did good this year, did good, did well this year. I'm speaking in the third, I'm speaking as Ohio State now. Here are things that Ohio State did well because Kerry Combs responded the way he did I think those are things that help him when he is going Mm -hmm. to go get a job this uh, winter not that he necessarily needs it because he's got a a long track record and uh, now at two levels of of, you know places where he could go work some other things he talked about today I kind of want to rapid fire through some through some things he obviously got asked by about Denzel Burke because we didn't really get a chance to ask him too much about Denzel Burke when Oregon was torching them uh, a month ago um I guess they weren't really getting torched. It's not torching when it happens on the ground, I think, right? Gashed. They're getting gashed. Yeah. Um, Bullied. <laughs> but I thought he – it was it was interesting. He, he was a, a point of sanity a little bit because when things start to get a little bit long on a guy as far as the praise that's out there, it's always good to have a coach who can rein you back in a little bit. And he <laughs> talked about – I'm pretty sure he was talking about the play on Maryland's first drive. Yep. They got a guy wide open, and Tagovailoa, I thought, could have planted and thrown a better ball, but he threw mm-hmm. a pretty catchable ball that just sailed on him, and it got too deep on the receiver. But it, he had a receiver wide open. Maryland was up 3 nothing in this game. It should have been up 7 nothing in this game. That should have been a touchdown because yeah. that guy had nobody on him. And I think what Kerry Combs is saying is that Denzel Burke did not follow the right guy. That there, that they should have, he should have read that there wasn't going to be safety help there, and that that was his responsibility to cover that guy deep because he he called it he made a critical error on Saturday, but his point is as talented as he is right now, he still hasn't seen everything. He's still seeing all these things for the first time, and I thought that that was good perspective to give on. Don't forget that this guy is mortal, and don't forget that this guy is uh, going to be better in year three than he is right now, and that he's still going to be susceptible to something. And a reminder that the next time that happens, and if it's against Penn State or Michigan or Iowa or maybe even somebody else, and you're down seven to nothing, it's going to be more difficult to come back from than when it was Maryland. That exact play is why Kerry Combs has said in the past why he doesn't like playing freshman at cornerback because if you make a mistake, it's seven points. It wasn't there because, you know, Maryland's quarterback couldn't make a good throw. But I, I can't 
I can't tell if on that play he was supposed to be in man and he thought they were in zone because everybody else was covered up on a guy because yeah. Bryson Shaw did come down. But, yeah, I, I think we've reached a point with Denzel Burke where – I mean, he. I think it was Tony Gerbman who was comparing his his his, his demeanor to that of Bradley Roby, which I, he didn't totally agree with. But the idea of he said it before. I think the first time we ever asked about Denzel Burke, he doesn't strike me as a guy who has any fear. Which I mean, we talked to Denzel twice now. That's very evident. But the second time was a little bit more humbler because as we're talking to him outside after the Rutgers game, Craig Coleman's walking by, by and going, "Hey, be humble," because apparently he wasn't that humble the last time. But I do think we're starting to talk. To, about him in the same range as a freshman cornerback, the way LSU talked about Derek Stingley in 2019 and Elias Ricks last year. As these, those two guys were five stars. That's the difference. When they were doing what you expected them to do, Denzel Burke is not a five star. He's a guy who just started playing corner a few months ago. And yet he's clearly a guy who might be in, is probably going to be a freshman, a freshman All American, and is probably going to be an All Big Ten participant in a three years started here and we'll see where his career takes him, but that's the way we are starting to approach him. And because of that, as we've seen coaches do a lot with players, they're starting to do a CJ Stroud too. When they're really good and playing really well and they see the world starting to hype them up, they start to go the other way with how they talk about them. That may be why Kerry Combs doesn't like uh, playing freshmen, but I think it's a bigger problem when it's last year and it's happening with third-year sophomores and juniors and guys like (laughs) that because you don't have as much – confidence that it's going to get better not only that mm-hmm. season but sometime in the future so I'll, I'll take the freshman who's making the occasional mistake over the junior who's making the same mistake because mm-hmm. that freshman's more likely to get better I asked a question about I, I prefaced the question first to try to get at what is going on at uh, cover safety between Marcus Williamson and Cam Martinez his response more specifically to that was that Cam Martinez, they liked what he was doing against pass-heavy teams in man-to-man situations. I think they looked at a, the, the Maryland game plan for whatever reason they thought fit Marcus Williamson better. He didn't come out and say this, but I think they also have more confidence in Marcus Williamson as a tackler, a guy who can play the yeah. run at this point than Cam Martinez, which I think is not a knock against Cam Martinez because one guy's been here for five years yeah. and one guy's been here for – year and a half. So I think that that's just a natural thing that might be happening in those careers. And I think the way he answered it was that there's going to be, they're going to be uh, some games that are look like this where a guy plays more than another guy, the guy who is ostensibly sharing the spot or second in line or whatever. And then it might be matchup dependent. And I'm, I mean, curious what that's going to be against certain opponents, but remember they've got some teams on this schedule, Michigan being a primary one that are very run heavy and that could influence what the defensive rotation looks like for that game. But I also I led that I used that question to lead into another question, which is so last year you guys had no depth. And this year, how is like every practice different? Because I would think that there has to be much more competition. And what what's really interesting to me about this week and next week is you've got six weeks, you set a baseline of six weeks of expectation for everybody. There's guys who probably think they should be higher on the depth chart. You got now this whole week which again is only a couple of practices. We, we always talk about these in terms of weeks, but it's not like they're going at it seven days a week. You've really got, mm-hmm. you know, a couple, three periods this week, um, Tuesday practice, Wednesday practice, Thursday, no pads, no practice this weekend. So you've got a few practices this week, but what do you do in these practices this week to change coaches' minds based on what happened in the first three weeks and I, or six weeks? And I think that's something this team didn't have last year. And it's one of those weird 
we always say stuff like this and be like, you know, they got to the national championship game. So it didn't hold them back that much, but it cost them. I think it definitely cost them being able to, to take that next step on defense because they didn't have nobody in that second group was ever stepping up and challenging mm-hmm. until very late in the season. You started to see Ronnie Hickman got on the field a little bit. Lathan Ransom got on the field a little bit. Some COVID absences might've even helped those things. Yeah. happen. But, but you saw it trickle through late last year. Uh, I would imagine that the competition that you're going to see this week and next week leading into that Indiana game is, should be pretty interesting on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, last year we saw guys who didn't have a choice. I don't think they wanted to play those guys necessarily. They just didn't have any other options. I, I, I don't know. I, I think at linebacker you might get clarity. I think there's an idea of who your best four guys are. And I think the next two weeks will validate that. It's I think it's better. And whatever order you want to put them in, Cody Simon, Taraji Mitchell, your starters, obviously, and then probably Steel Chambers and Cody's and uh, Tommy Eichenberg. Those are the four linebackers who should be playing. And then in the secondary, we've talked at length about the idea that it's Burke, Cameron, a healthy Cameron Brown, and then seven banks are kind of rotating through two spots. That seems to be working itself out now. If Cam Brown can get healthy over the next two weeks and Seven Banks is starting to look like more of himself now, why Bryson Shaw and Latham Ransom just kind of split that role. I do wonder what the cover safety role, if there's a chance we see what would have and what would have happened last year had Cam Brown not gotten hurt, where because at this point in their careers, Marcus Williamson's maybe just better at the run while Cam Martinez is clearly a better cover guy and First and second down, that's Marcus Williamson's job. And then when you get in clear passing situations, it's when you see more Cam Martinez. I wonder if that's what we might see or if somebody just claims the job in general. I, I, it's just something, an idea to throw out there because they wanted to do it last year and they couldn't do it because Cam Brown, you know, tore his Achilles. And then obviously the up front is going to be what it is. But I do think on the defensive side, you spend the next 14 days, you know, kind of validating who should be on the field for you so that when you come out, they know what – all these guys know what they're doing by now. Now we need to figure out who should be getting snaps. And you can figure that out over the next two weeks. Yeah. Does Cam Brown take a more just like traditional nickelback role on this? Or I'm sorry, Cam Martinez take a more traditional yeah. nickelback role. Um, I think that's, Cameron's. I think that's possible, but I also think there are some opponents that they could play. The thing about Maryland was as much as they threw the ball, it was a lot of RPO stuff. I know that's right. popular at overall, but if it's happening on early downs, um, you can't assume that it's going to be and it and and it's also when they did throw the ball in those situations, especially on those early drives, there's a lot of horizontal stuff, there's a lot of stuff out mm-hmm. in the flats. Again, sort of an extension of the run game. It wasn't mm-hmm. you don't have to cover a guy downfield. So if that was why they made that decision and went heavy with Marcus Williamson against Maryland, I think that makes sense. But it's something to watch as the weeks go forward. Will they get in a game against a team that isn't quite structured the same? with its offensive personnel, would they go back to an abundance of snaps for uh, Cam Martinez? Uh, That'll be interesting to watch. Um, Who else? Anything else that jumped out at you? Um, Yeah. From a recruiting standpoint, they were out yesterday and they'll be out Friday. So I don't know, depending on where you live at, you might get an Ohio State assistant coach at your high school football game. And what did Kerry Combs say when you asked him about the conversations that are happening right now as far as his role and what that means in, in, in recruiting. Yeah. I just thought I'd ask, did you have to explain, you know, what, what's happening? What the heck is going on? Why are you not this and that? And his answer, no, not, they haven't really had to explain it. It's, and then you got 
to the coach speak of, it's not really hard to recruit guys to Ohio State. But no, just as Ryan Day said last week when Zach Carpenter asked about it, there hasn't been much of a conversation about it. I don't believe that, or at least I don't believe they're going to go through this entire cycle without any of these kids asking about that. I would. So if you're saying no one has asked about it yet, okay, I'll believe that. But I do believe that at some point these kids are smart enough that this is going to be a conversation of, okay, what's going on with Kerry Combs? What's his role if he does stay and is he staying? You know, we've, it's worth asking about, and you can't dismiss it, because we've seen it be an issue in the past. Uh, Ohio State should have one more cornerback on its roster than it does, and it was a guy who left because uh, Jeff Halfley left, at least in part because Jeff Halfley left. Now, it was a guy from the West Coast, so maybe that affected why he ended up staying out West, too, that it made it easier for him to make that call. So I think that's an important thing to remember here, too, that each relationship is is individually different. I do think, though, for fans out there, I would not yet freak out about it, partially because I think every player who comes to Ohio State should do so with the thinking that every coach on this staff should be good enough to get an even better job. Like, to mm-hmm. some extent, that is true right now. Brian Hartline could go be a receivers coach in the NFL yesterday. If yeah. not, or, or maybe having even some kind of promotion within the college ranks. You know, Larry Johnson is obviously getting late in his career, but, I mean, he, at any point, he could have gone on to some other kind of job. Um, you know, Matt Barnes is still pretty young. Al Washington also obviously just almost left last mm-hmm. summer. So I think it's, it's something that I would not completely freak out about just because – if I'm through the recruiting process, I mean, it's probably something you don't even necessarily talk about. This is the way I would address it though. If I was a head coach, I would just be like, listen, you're coming here to this school. We want you to have a good relationship with your position coach. But when, when one of these guys comes to me and says, Hey, I can go be the defensive coordinator at a really good school. And I'm going to probably say good luck. And we're still going to expect to be here and win football games. It's also why you can't pick a school based off one person. Um, I think Larry Larry Johnson is the only person on the staff where like a kid's allowed to just be like, I'm coming to Ohio State because Larry Johnson's here, because he's Larry Johnson. Everybody else, there needs to be, and it's why they approach recruiting the way they do. Yes, Kerry Combs has built a relationship with AJ Harris. Yes, 100%. He is why this is even a thing. But that's not the only person AJ Harris has a relationship with on this coaching staff. They do that purposely because of what happened with Clark Phillips, but also it's how you have to recruit nowadays. You can't just because things have the transfer portal exists now and kids can leave for all types of reasons. So there is an element to you might be the guy leading this charge for this recruitment, but this is collaborative in a sense that this kid knows all of us. He feels comfortable with everybody because then you're picking the school and not necessarily one person who just happened to be in charge of your room in whatever certain year. We're going to take a break there. We're going to come back with more of what Ryan Day talked about a little bit with Chris Olave here on Buckeye Talk. We are back on Buckeye Talk. We kicked off the day, our press conference, as we always did, talking to Ryan Day, getting some intel. First of all, and, and the most important thing that I think that happens this week is who heals up. Like Who's going to get healthy this week? So, Let's kind of run down the guys who he asked about. But I think also I want to kind of get a gauge on each of these guys of how much we think, how much of a difference maker is this guy? Because I think in some of these, on some of these answers, some of these guys, the answer has changed since week one. So yeah, <laughs> Mayan Williams, the 
definitely got the question today, like, was he even at the game Saturday? And, like, what's going on with that? And I think, fortunately for Ryan Day, whatever has been the issue seems to be resolving itself because he gets to say, well, we, we plan on him practicing this week. So it sounds like Ohio State's backfield will be intact again as of sometime this week, perhaps as early as right now while we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. They may, he may be on the practice field. I think that is a uh, positive thing for his de- long-term development. I don't know that I think it changes how many games I think Ohio State wins in 2021. And I think it's because we, we had all along had said two things were going to happen. At some point, Trevion Henderson proves he should be the starter. That happened pretty quick. And then there would be a Master Teague, Mayan Williams back off, run off, rush off, however you want to call it, to decide who was going to be the backup. But I don't think any of us thought that the answer to that question was critical for Ohio State season. That if Trevion Henderson doesn't play for some reason long-term, then the, the ceiling drops on the whole offense. We just did a video that will be up on YouTube by the time a lot of you are listening to this. Basically, you know, making cases for who Ohio State's best Heisman Trophy candidate is between C.J. Stroud and Trayvon Henderson. So that right there should tell you how, you know, big of a deal it is whether they have Mayan Williams or not. The, yeah, Trayvon Henderson's are running back, and as long as he's healthy, they're fine there. Everything that's happening behind him is fluid every single week, depending on who's practicing better. Between Mar- Master Teague, Mayan Williams, and I'll even throw Marcus Crowley in there at this point, depending on what they need from a spell back that week and who's practicing the best, is which M will start. Well, I mean, will be Trayvon Henderson's backup. Other than that, I mean, okay, they'll, they'll be okay if that's one less person they have to choose between. Yeah, I agree. It's, I understand why people are curious what's going on there. And, and Ryan Day was not specific in the physical ailment or medical ailment that was keeping him out, but said that he'll okay. be practicing again this week. So uh, we'll see what's going on with that. Haskell Garrett left the in the third quarter of the Maryland game with what appeared to be a lower leg injury, ankle injury, something like that. Ryan Day said, we'll see how he looks after this week, and hopefully he's back next week. It, it made it sound like he was going to have a light week at best if he does anything this week. Mm-hmm. He's a veteran guy that I think it's the exact kind of time that they would try to give those guys, get them off their feet. And yeah. I will say the most positive thing in regard to Haskell Garrett's status was that up to right before the press conference, Jerry Emig, the SID, was telling us that he might be one of the players we got to talk to. If mm-hmm. there was going to be a long-term injury, that would not have been the case. So that should tell you everything you need to know about how soon Haskell Garrett will be back on the field. If I were to rank, if I were to rank the people who are absent right now as of their importance to Ohio State reaching its ceiling this year, he's number one, and I think there's reason to believe that he'll be fine. He's number one, and there's a significant—I uh, won't say significant gap, but he's number one, and there's a decent gap between whoever number two is right now. But, yeah, I think he'll be fine to the point of those guys, some of these veterans are probably going to get rested anyway. I wouldn't uh, – they're probably not going to do a lot of hitting this week anyway. So, yeah, if you – if they're guys that are starters and you know you're going to play, they're probably going to have a light week as is. The Tyreek Smith question, I think it basically been answered already because of the way he came out, full uniform, went through all the warm-ups and just didn't play against Maryland. There was really no reason to play him against Maryland from an, from an injury standpoint. Um, we didn't get, I don't I guess nobody asked if how close he was to being able to play, but it seemed to me an indication as it was happening on Saturday that he was on the cusp. It was just a matter of why not play it safe. Obviously it's a game they ended up winning by uh, darn near 50 points. So give him that extra, you're not just giving him a guy a week off, you're giving him two weeks off 
still to get back and be healthy for Indiana. But I actually think he is really significant. I don't, I, I, I don't know that there's a huge drop between him and Garrett. There is in some ways because Garrett doesn't have maybe as many people at his position that are, are doing things. But the, the, the best version of Tyreek Smith could still really do something for this defense. And we saw it late last season against Clemson, against Northwestern a little bit, even in the national championship game. You saw a different kind of Tyreek Smith. And if he can reproduce that, if he can get healthy – and then get back to that level he was playing at late last year. And it may not happen immediately, but if he is pursuing that over the course of this year, then even if he's not, even if he doesn't even, even if he doesn't return to the starting lineup, even if he becomes a guy that you put in there to pass rush on later downs, his potential to change a game is significant. I don't know if I agree with that. I understand what you're saying, and I do think if he does get back to whatever the level he was in that Clemson game, it helps the defensive line. But I also think that if everybody in that room hits the ceiling they're supposed to hit in this season, not long-term, just in this season, he might be the fourth best at best, I think. If JT and Jack keep coming along and something just finally clicks for Zach – I think they'll be fine to not have Tyreek Smith along for, the, for that ride. If, it, if those three and then to an extent, you know, whatever Javante Jean Baptiste can give you. But I, I just think at best Tyreek might be their fourth best defensive end if everybody's the best version of what they're supposed to be in 2021. While I'm, I'm just going to bring Cam Brown into this as well. I think the cornerback situation needs Cam Brown more than the defensive ends need Tyreek Smith going forward. Well, that's an argument that we could have. But to the other point, I mean, Zach Harrison has never played as well as Tyreek Smith did at the end of last season. Truth or fiction? That's, that's true. Yeah. Okay. And still hasn't. Yeah. Uh, although he's played fine, but has not played at that level. And you're saying that you think that at some point, Tumaloal and Sawyer could play at the level that Tyreek Smith was playing at at the end of last season? I wouldn't be shocked by it at this point, the way they've both played. I mean, they've every week gotten better and better as they've gotten more opportunity. I would agree with that too, but I don't know that I would say that. I think maybe we didn't, we de-emphasized how well Tyree Smith was playing at the end of last season. It's why there was some doubt as to whether he'd be back this year, because there was real question as to how, you know, how high he could go in the NFL draft. And he was looked at as someone who was maybe a first round caliber guy as soon as this year. So that's, I guess, I, I want people to remember that, that there's no assurance that he will get to that level. But if you can take what's happening with this defense right now and, and the ascent that this defense is on and then drop Tyreek Smith on top of that, I think it could be pretty special. Uh, Cam Brown, Ryan Day said, this was the one that sounds like it could be a little bit more long-term, though, again, not devastating. But he said he doesn't know if he'll practice this week. They're going to go day-to-day and see how he's feeling. And that whether he's available for the Indiana game at all might not be more apparent until the middle of this week, although it's already Tuesday, but I think what he usually means by that is after they practice Thursday, how are Mm -hmm. guys looking? So right now I I would expect Cam Brown to be on the status report for the Indiana game. If I had to guess that at best he might be a game time decision for that game, but 
I think it's great news for Ohio State that it's not going to be something long-term with him. The problem is it's – and Ryan Day said this today. Like, when he's been out there, he's done really well. He's just had a hard time staying on the field. He yeah. said, hopefully it's just another bump in the road. But when he was back, it'll be a big part of the defense. When he has played this year, it's been a palpable difference in this team's secondary play. Like, he is their second-best cornerback after – has been their second-best cornerback after Burke, I would say. I would put his performance this far above yeah. seven banks, except for the fact that he's only played in three of the six games. So I think you've got to do whatever you have to do this week. And if that means he never leaves the training room, then so be it. And then if he can't play against Indiana, I would almost say so be it. Because I think you need to get him as healthy as possible for the games that matter the most, Penn State, Michigan, postseason. He, it's, this seems – I think you're right that this team might not be able – to really challenge in some of those next level games if it doesn't have Cam Brown healthy at cornerback. I would vote he just doesn't play against Indiana and we don't see him again until Penn State because he can't get make a great play on defense and then be limping back to the line of scrimmage every single play. And that's what it's been when he's played. He had the Achilles thing last year. He's had the knee brace on. I don't think he had it on last game. That was like the, I pointed that out in the text that it didn't look like he had it on. But that can't be what's happening here. Because it's it's give him at this point it would be three weeks off of just not playing football and almost approach it the same way you did with CJ Stroud in his shoulder where you just didn't let CJ throw a ball even when you were warming up he had to underhand with his left hand because you're not allowed to use that shoulder just make Cam Brown sit down for three weeks and not do anything and get as healthy as he possibly can even if that's only at this point 85 percent let him get to that level and then once you get into the Penn States Michigan States and on down the line then he's ready to go so because that's, that's valuable. If you got three guys that you can rotate through two spots, especially as Seven Banks is starting to play a little bit better every single week and Burke playing the way he's playing, you're set at corner. You don't need to do anything else. Ryan Day was kind of asked to give a midseason assessment of C.J. Stroud, uh, though he gives a new one each week, obviously, so yeah. this wasn't exactly uh, breaking news. Uh, but talked about how in the last couple of games that he's made good decisions, seen the field well. He's prepared at a high level, which is something he keeps bringing up uh, about him and really anybody that he talks about when he's praising them. He talks about how they prepare at a high level and then shown some toughness along the way. And this was something that was a recurring theme last week was toughness. And whether Ryan Day was talking about C.J. Stroud or whether he was talking about um, other guys on the field, the defense, uh, kind of the, the, the team's play overall, he kept coming back to toughness. And I thought it was indicative of something he thought was maybe missing earlier this year. I will say it's probably difficult when you don't know your role yet. You don't know. You're just – and you're trying to figure things out a little bit on the fly. Some of those guys were playing their first minutes of consequence ever, first snaps of consequence. And toughness is probably not your first priority there. It's more just like, <laughs> what do I do here where yeah. I don't get flattened and don't look stupid? And I, it's, hard to, it's hard to be tough when you're worried about not looking stupid. Buckeye talk. And I think that now the more and more that you feel like this team, a guy, it just feels more comfortable on the field, then the toughness should be able to come through. Whether you're talking about Cam or whether you're talking about CJ Stroud or whether you're talking about someone like Cody Simon, I think that probably applies all around. Yeah, I, toughness is a weird thing to talk about because it's depending on your position. Toughness means different things. If you're CJ Stroud, toughness is being willing to stay there in that pocket so you can make a throw to Jackson Smith and the Jigba when you know you're getting ready to get hit. While 
with you know, Travion Henderson, it's like making sure if, if somebody is going to attack you for a two yard gain, you turn that into six yards because you fought through a little bit. I think that's why I hate the word a little bit. It's more feel and vibe and the vibe around this team just feels a little different, especially on the defensive end. Um, I think they needed a guy like Denzel Burke. Not the play, yes, yes. Obviously, X is no part yet, but just the mindset, the 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 demeanor that he plays with. It didn't feel like there were a lot of guys who were playing with that level of demeanor. Where even if you don't know what you're doing, you can fake it until you make it a little bit. And as you as as, you, as they started to make plays, it started to become real. That confidence turned from I don't know what I'm doing to now I know what I'm doing. Plus, I'm out here hunting plays and trying to make plays out here. And it didn't feel like the first couple of weeks there were anybody out there who were trying to make plays, even if they didn't completely know what they were doing yet. So in certain guys like that, Talik Williams, who it's the end of the game, the game's already decided, but I'm going to go out here and get two sacks because that's what I'm out here to do. You needed some type of vibe like that, especially on, maybe more on defense than offense, but the, that I think that's more what he's speaking to when he talks about toughness is just that feel. That some that you need to have as a defensive player, and it didn't feel like they had that the first couple of weeks. I think there's a, an element of mental toughness too that he's talking mm-hmm. about, and I think that applies a little bit to C.J. Stroud. That, but again, I think it's when you're when your shoulders barking at you every time you move it, then it's harder to be mentally tough because it's just <laughs> one more like distraction in the way that you can't really. It's hard to ignore that you feel it every time you move. So when you remove health from it then I think there was an element of mental toughness that this team felt internally it was lacking in those first couple weeks. And I think Ryan Day's comments now speak to that, but also what we were hearing from the team going into the Maryland game, if you remember, like they were talking about, I guess Ryan Day brought it up first, but other players talked about it. that like three different guys went up and talked in front of the team and kind of said some sort of along the same lines that uh, was it Garrett Wilson that went up and said like, Hey, so what if we just won that game? Like, was it really up to our standards? Like, were we doing the Ohio state? things that we're supposed to be doing and there were a couple other guys who got up and I can't remember who they were now um I think one of them might have been Cam Babb Babb I think Cage said something Jerron Cage. Cage was the other one yeah, yeah. I can't remember as new as a defensive lineman somebody and and there might have been a third person that wasn't Cam Babb mm-hmm. I can't remember but I know that there was definitely a there was a, a repeated message that week of and, and I think this is what mental toughness is sometimes it's not just doing what it takes to do the job it's doing what it takes to live up to the state the standard that you should be mm-hmm. accomplishing that is something that we all struggle with fuck i talk but it is <laughs> but it is something that it's it's just a very public thing when you do it on a football field and i think that the biggest change we've seen over this past month even though the level of opponent hasn't changed the way that ohio state dominates those opponents has changed you know, Tulsa pushed them till deep into the fourth quarter and the Rutgers and Maryland games were almost over before they began. That to me was is, yeah. is a reflection of mental toughness. Yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. They got like one of the main differences, they got off the field on third down when it was time to get off the field on third down outside of Maryland's two fourth and one plays where they, they broke something. But for the most part, it wasn't every other play that was a big play for an offense. It was you know, there were so few of them that you remember all of them, whether it was Rutgers or Maryland. Anything else from the Ryan Day portion of things that jumped out at you? Um, not really. I mean, as as we just said with Denzel Burke, it's just interesting to watch the way he's talked about C.J. Stroud change the last two times we talked about him. He's not in, He's not his cheerleader anymore, the same way he 
was the first four or five weeks. Now it's more, there's a lot for him to learn. He's nowhere near being the best version of himself. Got all this other, he's, you know, calming it down a little bit, which is a good sign. That means CJ Stroud is doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing at this point in his career. All right, one more break. We're going to come back and wrap things up here on Buckeye Talk. Ryan Day said this week that Ohio State coaches went out uh, Monday and they're going back out Friday as far as recruiting. And I think, Stephen, you already alluded to that. But you also asked Ryan Day about how he feels about things right now. You had asked him back Mm -hmm. earlier in the summer, or he had been asked about, like where he felt the 2022-2023 classes stood at that point. And there really hasn't been much change in those classes since he was asked that. So how does Ryan Day feel about where those classes are right now? He said he feels great about it. He kind of, you know, I tried to take away some of his answers by the way I asked the question, but I didn't take away every answer he could give. So he gave the last one of the good thing is you can evaluate guys now, which is kind of true. Yeah. You can actually go see these kids, see if a kid's, you know, physically growing the way you thought he was going to grow, what he actually looks like. It's not just on film. So there maybe won't be as many misses in the recruiting classes. We've seen in other recruiting classes before, but yeah, the only significant difference since I think we, the first time I asked him that at big 10 media days was they now have a 2023 commit and tied in Ty Lockwood. But there are obviously, as we discussed on Tuesday, a lot of guys still out there in the 2022 class and the 2023 class that they need to ring in here. And so we'll see what happens over the next couple of, weeks here as we inch closer to signing day day by day but he said yeah they're pretty happy where where things stand as he said in the summer and kind of emphasized today again they could be patient with this process and I think that's a two-way street it's Ohio State wanting to do that but also a lot of their targets that they're in on wanting to do that same thing here for a lot of different reasons one because they can but also because they're trying to see how this defensive coaching staff shakes out just a lot of other things as well so if Ryan Day says they're fine I, I'll believe it for now just because they're the number seven class in the country in 2022. And obviously they're not, they're 17 in 2023, but that doesn't matter with one guy. But if they say they're fine, then I'll believe that for now, given what they're, what the, the kind of, I guess the reputation he's built as the head coach here when it comes to building recruiting classes. One of the three-star prospects that has worked out for Ohio state is Dewan Jones. Ryan Day was asked today about his development. Actually he was asked about his uh, size first which was one of the better uh, moments of levity in the press conference was asked. Uh, they said on the broadcast that Dewan Jones has the biggest jersey that Nike's ever made. And Randy said, I'm sure it is, uh, <laughs> which is a, a, a fair estimation of, of just how big that guy is. But he was also, and I thought another guy that he gave, I thought a mixed review to and said, not that they haven't been happy with the way he's played, but actually, he said he stepped in and played well at times. He brings energy and uh, he's good in pass protection. Um, we're getting to see what he's capable of. The thing is going to be the consistency. He has to start to do against some of these really good defenses uh, where he's going to be challenged. Um, he said in, he, he plays 70 plays in a game and 30 or 40 where he's doing a great job, and there's other ones where he's got to figure out what he's going to do on that play and needs to improve on it. Right now, I don't know if you know this. I'm going to uh, – right now, pro football focus, who is yep. Ohio State's highest-ranked interior offensive lineman? Oh, interior, Matthew Jones. Matthew Jones is the highest-graded guard by pro football focus in the country. 
I did not know in the country. Wow. 89.3. The next closest guy, TJ Bass from Oregon, 84.7 is our usual caveat that we don't necessarily agree with pro football focuses grading game to game, but sometimes over the long haul, it does show you some things. Um, I'm actually scrolling down and Paris Johnson is number 30 on the list with a grade of 75. So significantly lower than where Matthew Jones is. And Matthew Jones is getting some reps now at both left guard and right guard. And I didn't ask Ryan Day this. It was kind of on my list of things to ask, and I ended up being more on the defensive side. We only get a couple questions. But, like, at some point, will Ohio State – should Ohio State look at going back to the other offensive line, or do you think they're locked in for the rest of the year with this and with Matt Jones just mixing in as needed? I think Indiana game – because they did it again on Saturday. So it's a thing. It's not – when I asked last week, he tried to make it seem like it wasn't a thing. It's clearly a thing where they're purposely trying to find ways for Matthew Jones to get on the field. Well, but, but real quick, the, the, the caveat was those games were the same. Like they right, were both yeah, blowout the, games where you could experiment. Yeah, that's fair. I think they might do it again in Indiana – where we might see us. What's also helping is there, Mumford randomly gets hurt. So it kind of eases in. But I think they do it again against Indiana, where we see a series where Matthew Jones is the left guard and a series where he's the right guard. And then I think in Penn State, they make a decision of which one they want to go with, of do they want Matthew Jones or do they want DeWan Jones on the, on the field? Because to be fair, PFF also said this week that the highest graded pick Big Ten offensive tackles were Nicholas Petit Frere and Dewan Jones this past weekend. So it's 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 which they're both playing well. It's which one maximizes whatever you want to do offensively. So I won't be shocked if we see them, you know, reshuffling things again in the first half on October twenty third, and then they'll make a decision and Penn State going forward, whether it's the offensive line we've seen all year or it's the offensive line that we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the season it ends up being what takes the field. Yeah, the pro football focus grades actually nationally have Nicholas P. Fair 10th and Dewan Jones 11th among mm-hmm. tackles. So pretty high praise for them as well. And actually the scores themselves, the grading score that they give are, I guess switch screens again, are basically essentially the same as, as Matt Jones. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Theron Mumford's been hurt. So that's been the other factor here. Theron Mumford is still ranked in the top 50, but he's been banged up this year. Um, he's not getting a good pass block grade from Pro Football Focus for whatever reason. So um, the one thing the other that got brought up with the offensive line today was uh, Joey Kaufman from the dispatch asked, what's the status with Harry Miller? Like, what is he now? Is he a center? And Ryan Day said, well, he's more like a swing guy now. That it makes it to, – to which to me said he's a reserve offensive lineman for 2021 unless something changes above him from a health standpoint. Luke Whippler is a starter on his team. By the way, Luke Whippler ranks in the top 25 nationally among all centers in pro football focus overall grade, though significantly farther back than those other guys just in terms of what that grade is. There's a pretty steep drop-off, and like, and nobody's better than Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, who's just like destroying the grading curve uh, this year. But that, to me, I thought was a, a not a revelation, but a it, it might play into the question we're asking about the rest of the offensive line. because continuity I think is important and they seem to want to keep the structure the same and then just sort of tweak it and giving guys like Matt Jones or whoever else a chance to get in there on occasion but I, I think that this starting lineup with Theron Mumford at left guard Dewan Jones at right tackle I think that's what you're going to see through the last game of Ohio State plays barring injury 
Yeah, I, I mean, we we said it a couple uh, regarding Harry Miller. We've been saying it for a couple of weeks. How many games could he miss before Luke just took the job? But also, once Luke did just take the job, unless you feel like Harry Miller was going to be a Remington Award finalist the moment he stepped on the field, then Luke Wilpers doing the job fine. You don't notice him out there, which is Ryan Day said with interior guys. If you don't notice him, that means he's doing a pretty good job. He's had a couple bad snaps, but for the most part, he's been solid. So there's no reason to change it. And I almost think it's more important with Stroud in his first year that you don't mm-hmm. change things up too much on him. I think part of the answer there might be that you want to keep things as static for him as possible. Mm-hmm. Static's not the right word, but just as, as consistent, consistent for him as possible. Yeah. yeah. So that he isn't – again, it's, it's about like removing variables from the process and, and letting guys just kind of build from week to week and, and get a flow mm-hmm. going. So I think that probably tells you what this offensive line is going to be in the second half. I think it's – the biggest thing for Matt Jones, actually, the way we should look at it is every time he comes in and plays in a game like those or, or really any game, um, that's one less dose of wear and tear on Thayer Munford. And that's what it should be all about. It's about how healthy can Thayer Munford be for your 12th game of the year, for your 13th game of the year, for your 15th game of the year if you get that far. Like you want Thayer Munford as – good as he can get no matter what the pro football focus grades say I don't think that Matthew Jones should be starting at left guard this year over Thayer Munford so I think it's about letting him be the relief for Thayer Munford that makes him as healthy as he can be when this team has to play major games here in November December January I agree I know it's a very controversial statement, right? <laughs> Thayer I wanted you to step up and say, no, I, I disagree. I think they should wear Thayer Munford out against Indiana if yeah. possible. I would, I would start him at fullback and just hand off to him until his legs fall off. Like that's really it's it's got to be point counter. That's the, yeah. Honestly, no. Make him. He's the new Travion Henderson, and I want the ball. I want him the ball in his hands thirty times again. That could be interesting. Uh, <laughs> Do we want to talk about how good the wide receivers are? Or do we want to? You know, I, no, I don't. I don't. Okay, I, cool. I thought it was interesting. I mean, you you asked you know you asked Chris Olave like, isn't this how it's supposed to work, right? Like the, the yeah. what Brian Hartline's doing. I'm like, well, but was it also working when Chris Olave had two catches and two weeks? Like, was that still working? Like, that's the question. Yeah. I want Chris Olave to answer. Put him up on the mic and answer that. Like, is that what it's supposed to look like? Are you ha- are you still happy when that's going on? Because I don't. Ryan Day alluded that maybe he wasn't. Yeah, and. <laughs> I would love to see somebody be able to get Chris Olave to answer that question and not just go, you know, it's zone six. There's a lot of guys in this room. You know, there's a lot of good guys that have faith in CJ Stroud. But, yeah, I mean, yes, like Chris Olave, Jackson, and Jake Bring, and and Garrett Wilson are pretty good. The interesting – and then I don't even know if this was interesting or not, but Joey Kaufman asked about Jamison Williams and how well he's playing. And it's just, I mean, another way to basically the world to hear – Ohio State's fourth best receiver is the number one receiver in Alabama, but that's not really a cool. They're not fun to talk. It's funny. They're the best group on this team. They have the most interesting stuff going on, but they're not actually fun to talk about. So I'm doing some math, which is always compelling on a podcast. Uh, Jackson Smith at Jigba right now on pace for 904 receiving yards over 12 games. Mm-hmm. Chris Olave is on pace for 988 over 12 games. And obviously, they're not only going to play 12 games, but I'm just doing it based on that. And uh, Garrett Wilson is on pace for, I think, something like 1,080. Let me do real quick math. 1,092. So you're going to have three guys, like, right on the cusp of 1,000 yards. And I think before the season, I asked if Ohio State could have two 
1,500 yard receivers. I was the one who was definitely taking the under on Jackson Smith and Jigba because last year's targets had so heavily gone in the favor of Olave yeah. and Wilson that I expected that to be the same. And this year that has not happened that uh, they are getting more targets and more catches than Smith and Jigba, but partially because Smith and Jigba has been so productive with his catches. He's leading this team in yards per reception. Uh, if, if you include just the, you know, if you have like a minimum number of receptions so far, then that's how he's, he's keeping up. And if you start, if you extrapolate those numbers over 13 games, which this team is, almost assured of playing, even if it somehow doesn't make the big team championship game, it's going to play a bowl game. So 13, if you make that the baseline, then Garrett Wilson easily eclipses a thousand. Chris Olave pushes over a thousand and Jackson Pendigba is right there. They're also throwing the ball a lot. So it helps, but also I think that's not the point I want to make. The point I want to make is I think Jackson is playing more than Jamison played and he's in the slot. And last year, I think part of the reason why you put Garrett in the slot was one, because you didn't have any other options in the slot because it was either Garrett or a guy who got here two months ago. Um, But also, I think it's easier to ignore an outside receiver than it is the slot guy, just in any offense. And then you can also, if you want Garrett to get outside snaps, where they do a lot last year, they just went 12 personnel. And they did a lot of that last year. They're still doing it some this year, but they're in – they're in normal uh, 11-man personnel a lot this year with that third wide receiver on the field. And we got to a point where he was so open that we were even having discussions of, hey, CJ, why aren't you throwing this kid the ball? He's open. And so I think that's part of the reason what allowed Garrett to go back outside. And now you, you're not going to ignore Garrett Wilson in the slot on, on the outside. You're not going to ignore Chris Olave in the slot. I think Jackson Smith, the Jigba, is just a better weapon than what Jamison Williams was. And so because of that, you've got three spots that you can now have to pay attention to in the offense where last year it was just, nope, put Jamo on the outside every couple of snaps and just have him run deep and we'll just get to Chris and Garrett. That'll wrap up today's Buckeye Talk. Come back with yeah. us the rest of the week. Doug will be back in the picture, I believe, on Thursday. We are doing a roster-wide draft of yeah. Ohio State and kind of getting uh, kind of a, a – a, a reset of how we feel about guys up and down this roster. And then for Friday, we're wrapping up the Mount Buckmore conversation with the, the overall four spots that go on the main Mount Buckmore, who are the four individuals who best define Ohio state sports. So come back for those this week, get the text 614-350-3315, any Intel that we get throughout this week and then other analysis that we want to throw out there. We'll be going on the texts first and foremost. So for Steven means, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk.